So, welcome to Unstandardized English. My name is JPB Gerald. I'm a black and neurodivergent writer and educator living on unceded Muncie, Lenape, and Canarsie territory, which you probably know better as New York City, Queens specifically. On this podcast, I'm trying to work towards justice for the racially, linguistically, and neurologically minoritized. I talk to other educators, writers, academics, parents, whomever wants to talk to me about issues I think are compelling and challenging to the status quo. All right, so in this episode, I am very excited to announce I have joined a new podcast network called Connected Podcasts. Connected, but there's only one E. It's like, you know, they do like a stylized spelling thing. Um, Connected Podcasts is a new mission-driven network focused on helping podcasts like this grow and thrive. Now, I like my little niche audience. I like all of you. I get a couple hundred people per episode usually, and that's fine. You know, it's not my main job, but I surely don't mind if more people are listening to what I'm trying to put out in the world. So this is uh, ideally going to help that happen. So I'm excited to be part of a network that's bringing like really interesting and creative content to the world. It's definitely growing. They're bringing in new producers all the time. Um, you can check all the uh, podcasts on the network out at connectedpodcast.com. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T-D, right? Not not T-E-D, T-D, and then podcasts. I think you can spell podcast.com. Now, one of the other shows on the network is Integrated Schools. That was a show that I guested on a couple of years ago, and that's where parents are talking about public schools and decisions they're making regarding race, racism, and education. Really valuable show, and that's actually why I joined, because the uh, creator of that show asked me if I would do it. So for those of you who are already listening to my show, if you have the RSS feed that updates automatically, or if you, you know, listen. Just look for it on like Stitcher or something like that. I'm glad you're still here. Nothing is changing for you. Um, still every other Monday. I know I took two weeks ago off to give us some space between the, the older version and the new version. You can still find the show on the podcast platforms. You look on your Spotify, you look on your Stitcher, you look on your Apple, whatever. It's there. Still called Unstandardized English. Okay. Now, if you're Googling the show, however, um, there will be a new URL. Um, before it was anchor.fm and now it's going to be megaphone megaphone is just the program that connected uses to put their audio together and so now it's megaphone it doesn't really change anything for you the audio should be better because i'm using a microphone as opposed to recording from my headphones which yeah obviously when you hear that sentence you realize why sometimes you could hear weird stuff in the background so i'm not doing that anymore and i'm going to buy a new microphone uh soon if i get one of the jobs i'm up for fingers crossed Anyway, I appreciate Anchor having allowed me to start my show much more easily than I thought. I thought it would take a lot more work to get it up and running, and being able to use Anchor even on just my phone at the beginning was very helpful, but uh, I've moved to greener pastures, let's just say. And then you don't have to hear me have, make any silly ads for Anchor anymore, like I did in the first season, although I haven't done that in a while. So a couple of notes. You can still support the show on Patreon if you like the work. That, uh still there. I appreciate anything anyone donates, although again, it's no requirement. The show will always be free. The link is in the description for those who are interested in doing so. Also, I'm going to be talking more and more about my work outside of here. I always mention it in the interviews, but I don't specifically promote, so some of these intros are going to be much more about like, hey, next week I got a, a talk coming up if you want to come to it. I know that especially as it gets warmer, um, you know, people might be more willing to move around a little bit. And I'm, for example, giving a keynote at the New Jersey TESOL conference on June 3rd, which is a Friday. Now, obviously, when you go to a conference, you can't pick one day, so you would have to go to the whole conference. But if you're interested in that sort of thing and you're anywhere near New Jersey, um, please feel free to sign up. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm still working on my book. I'm finishing up my dissertation, and I'll certainly tell you when I graduate, so you can all be happy for me. And then when the book gets closer, I'll tell you about where you can get the book. You'll hear more of my self-promotion, which feels a little tacky, but honestly, that's just how you got to do these things. Um, and then a brief note about a book that just came out, written by a colleague of mine named Anna Marie Tester. Nope, Trester. It'll be okay. Uh, the book is called Employing Linguistics. So here's a little blurb. Employing Linguistics is an encouraging, exploratory, and story-filled look at the many ways that the skills and training of linguists and other professionals who work with language, culture, and communication come to life in various worlds of work. 
The idea, basically, is that a lot of people think if you're a linguist, and I'm not a linguist, but if, or a language teacher, or any kind of language-affiliated person, that your career options are limited and that your story is going to be homogenous, right? That you can only do a few things. And the idea behind the book is that they choose a few people's stories to talk about, actually, you can do different things, right? Um, and so Google it. You can find it. It will be a, uh, a useful addition if you are struggling with uh, inspiration for what you might want to do with your career if you're working in the language space. And I have to admit, the reason I'm reading this isn't just random. It's because one of the stories in the book is about me. So, you know, that'll be cool. Uh, all right. Now, on to this episode. This is technically season three, episode 13, but I'm really thinking of this as like season 3.5, episode one. The soft relaunch on the new platform, that sort of thing. Um, and to, you know, help me usher in this new era, I have two guests I have been waiting to ask on for the entire time I've been doing the show. Uh, before I started doing any podcasting, I was told to listen to a podcast in a class I was taking by a professor who really valued people who were challenging language ideologies. And that podcast was The Vocal Fries. The Vocal Fries, well, I'll let them tell you about it, but they, their tagline is the podcast about linguistic discrimination. Um, in fact, I'm going to have them say it the way they say it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, these two women um, gave me confidence that I could do a podcast. That's not to be an insult to say like, oh man, if they can do it, I can do it. But it's no, I literally asked them, hey, what did you have to do to be comfortable with your voice? Because I've now been doing this enough times that I don't really care what I sound like. But at the beginning, you know, I don't have a particularly deep voice. I uh, This has always been a bone of contention in terms of dealing with masculinity and that sort of thing. And, you know, I've never felt comfortable with the way that I sound until now. And the, the podcast has honestly helped me a lot with that. It's made me more confident in my speech when I give talks and also in my writing because my voice is in there, too. So I really wanted to bring them on to sort of tip my cap to what is essentially my foremothers in the podcast game and people I appreciate a lot. I was on their show talking about one of my articles and they told me I can go back when I write my book or my book is about to come out. So this is only part two of an ongoing several year series in which I talk to these two wonderful scholars and thinkers in the language space. I hope that you enjoy the episode. All right, folks, so we are here on Unstandardized English. I am JPB Gerald, but I think you know that because I just spent eight minutes introducing the show. Um, so I am here with two very, very special guests, two of, I would say, my, my foremothers in the game. Um, when I, you two know this story, but when I was in a class in early 2019, I had a professor who was giving us a bunch of cool information. She's the one who introduced me to Flores and Rosa's work, and she also introduced me to translanguaging as a concept. And I didn't really get all of it at the time, but I was just like, interesting. And she said, also, you should listen to this podcast called The Vocal Fries. And I was like, okay. And the funny thing is, I go in and out. I, I went in and out with podcasts. Like I started listening like 10 years ago, and then I didn't do it for a long time. And then I had just gotten a dog, and I, just, I was walking all the time. <laughs> yes. Just, Neptune. Yes, exactly. He's over here, actually. <laughs> there he is. Oh, Neptune gets to be there because Neptune's a good dog. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, I started listening to their show, and um, you know, it's it it was it gave me some insight into the fact that there are ways to approach you know linguistic justice and justice and on other axes of oppression aside from what uh, I don't know big academia would tell you. So, um, I'll have you all introduce yourselves. Thank you for being here uh, with Dr. Gillen and Dr. Figueroa. Either which one of you wants to go first doesn't really matter to me, but thank you for being here. Carrie. Carrie's going first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am Carrie Gillen. I'm the co-host of The Vocal Fries, and I live in Vancouver, BC. What do you do? I, yeah, what do I do? do? Um, besides being a podcaster, I'm also 
a language researcher, language planner and researcher for the Squamish Nation, which is a First Nation here in North, North Vancouver up to Squamish, BC. Uh, I also do some side work with the Stalo Nation, which is another nation just up the river from Vancouver. And um, yeah. Can you tell us what your sweatshirt says? Squamish. Oh, my sweatshirt actually says Squamish um, which means Squamish Nation. Okay. Sorry. Right. I was guessing it it was nation, the, the second word that I did. Well, know. the word is like more uh, broad than that. It can mean people, it can mean community, it can mean village. Mm-hmm. In this context, it means nation. Cool. Great visual content for the podcast. <laughs> um. Always, always. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I think I've had her explain us a, uh, a sweater a couple of times um, in our history. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't yeah. realize. Yeah, I was. I looked at my own sweatshirt for a second. I was like, "There's nothing on this sweatshirt." I don't oh think yeah, it's just nothing here. Um, anyway, Megan. Yes, I'm Megan Furua, and I am the uh, part that makes it a co <laughs> co host for Vocal Fries. Um, and I'm also a research scientist at the University of Arizona, um, where I work with babies and tots and, uh, language development, which is what I focused on in my PhD. But my real passion is for the extracurriculars, like hanging out with Carrie and doing the podcast, um, and hanging out with you. You were on our podcast. I was. I was. Yes. That was a while ago now. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. Was it before COVID? It was during no. COVID, but it was. Okay, but that's okay. how that's how long COVID is, though. So, no, yeah. I know. It's just... early COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we because... still had like <laughs> we were lacking some of the wrinkles. Yeah, it's true. We still we, were, we, we hadn't hit we hadn't hit the variants yet. Um, yeah. Oh, but, uh, no well, because you know, I know it was during because it was about my article. My article came out during, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, mm-hmm. and with the whole thing, and this is actually sort of I'm going to get into the main points here. I wrote the article in January 2020. It came out in May of 2020. Just just by chance, it came out when a lot of stuff was going on in terms of like race and all that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I did, that wasn't my plan, but that's what happened. Um, and, you know, I some people, people enjoy the article, and that's fine. But what I have gotten much more out of it is, is the discussions it's led to, you know. I find that although I do think the article itself is valuable, I think everything outside of it has been more compelling, at least to me. I don't know that that's true for everybody. And I think also what it's led to on the podcast, you know, has been really of interest to me, more so than just, yeah, I'm glad that it's there and some not particularly large number of people have, like, cited it or whatever. But, like, you know, where things go from the traditional academic path is is much more compelling to me than the traditional path. So this leads me to, you know... How did you all decide that in terms of pursuing, you know, justice in language, justice in linguistics, that, you know, podcasting was the way to go about it or a way to go about it? Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to write a book about it, actually. I think that was my first my first thought was this topic needs to be in the public sphere in a in a non-academic way. Yeah, um, it's like a pop side book, right? Yeah. And then I realized, but why would anyone get, you know, get that book from me? <laughs> so uh, one of the things I thought about was, well, actually, I, like, I love podcasting. I've been listening to podcasts since uh, at least 2009. Um, and I, I don't know, I just, it's a, a really good way for me to absorb information because like, I could be cleaning or doing other things that are just like pretty mind numbing. And uh, I, so I just really enjoy that, that mode. So it was just kind of like, what do I like? And also that I know a fair number of people also like his podcasts. And that just why I thought, okay, if I'm going to talk about something that really matters, it needs to be outside of the academic sphere because no one is paying attention to that stuff except for academics. So I don't know. That's just one of the reasons why I thought podcasts would be a way to do it. Yeah, and it, academics are notoriously shitty at um, doing public uh, <laughs> public type talks, as was illustrated in the Netflix "Don't Look Up" <laughs> their movie that came out like a month ago. 
or at the end of 2021 where the whole thing where Leo DiCaprio's character is just really bad at the whole PR thing, I guess you'd call it. He gets better Um, at it. He does, but that's the thing where it's like, okay, so that's why it is PR. It's like, oh, this is, there's something to it. You you have to be trained into it or perhaps trained out of what you were trained into in academia. Um, Both. Yeah. Because I think we're, I mean, the way that we can do be on podcasts is way more natural for me, I know. Um, and academic writing is so unnatural um, that there's, yeah, there's both unlearning and learning another way of communicating with people. Um, but yeah, so uh, podcasting is great. And who knew it would be so popular? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it pro- I mean, I feel like, okay, I came in on it at Serial like most people. Um, and I was like, okay, this is good for like my ADHD too. Or I'm like, okay, cause I don't like YouTube because I don't want to watch a video too. I like need the, the audio and then I can do other things. Um, I just watch the I, videos on like 150% on YouTube. So I just, just, that makes oh, do it. You, do you listen to podcasts? At, uh, sometimes. One and a half times? Sometimes. Yeah. Depends on the podcast. But sorry. Yeah. I don't mean to... No, no. Yeah. No. So I was like, this is a really, you know, it's a good way to consume information, but I just had no idea it was going to be as popular as it is. I mean, there's so many podcasts. There's, there's a podcast and everything. Literally Harry was telling everything. me there's a podcast that's so niche. Um, about oh, I mean, Dead Eyes? Yes, that's so niche. Yeah. Like, Have you heard of this this podcast? What? I don't know okay, what you said. Dead Eyes. It's by this actor. Uh, so back in, like, 2000, he was hired to be on Band of Brothers. And it was going to be this very good part. Like, I don't even think he had four lines. But uh, he basically got fired. And the reason he was given was that Tom Hanks thought he had dead eyes. And so it turned, like, put him into this tailspin. And, like, he left. He left Hollywood. Like, he was like, I'm not acting anymore. And then eventually he came back to it because, you know, when you have a passion for it, I think it's really hard to actually leave. Um, but anyway, so he's like these really interesting conversations with other actors, um, about this, this thing. And like, is it something that they've come across and like how horrible is Hollywood? Anyway, it's just like, it is super, super niche, but I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, there's good, I mean, podcasting is just a great way to disseminate information basically. (laughs) And, and there's probably someone out there who wants to hear what you've got. That's, that's one of the things that. Because I literally asked you, or I don't remember if I asked you, plural, or one of you. Like, I don't remember if I asked the Vocal Fries feed or if I asked one of you um, on Twitter, I guess. You know, like, how did you all become comfortable enough in your voices, both, like, scholarly and also literally, like, in your voices, to feel comfortable, you know, putting it together? Because... Having the ideas and thinking it would be a good way to do it is one thing, but like, you know, we all say, oh, we all hate our voices. I'm sure you all have opinions about what that means, but um, there's also like feeling like what you have to say is valuable, and then there's also like wanting to hear yourself say it. So, how did you get over that hurdle to, to you know, just do it? Well, it helped that I wasn't the editor at the beginning. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, so my husband was doing it at the beginning for the first year or so. And uh, so I didn't have to listen to myself that much. <laughs> uh, but n- so now that I'm the editor, I had to just get over, like, okay, I have this weird thing that I do and I don't like it. And just be like, oh, well, I can just cut it out. And it's fine. Or if I can't cut it out, I can just, like, reduce the volume a little bit. And <laughs> so it, it's just a matter of just being kind of like, everybody sounds weird. If you think about it too hard, <laughs> everybody. So just don't think about it too hard. Just like focus on the on the content and and um, just trying to do the best that you can with whatever the constraints are. Because everyone has constraints. I have we have less you know resources than some big podcasters do, um, but even their their podcast may not be my particular cup of tea, and that's fine. So it's it's. Just do just do with what you can with what you have, and that includes your own voice. <laughs> just being accepting of the fact that your own voice is what it is, and there's very little you can do. You can do some things if you really want to, but mostly you can't. And so just I don't know. I, I don't mind my voice that much. 
it's more like these things that I do that sometimes annoy me. I don't, so for me, it helped that there was two of us, so I don't think I would have ever been able to start a podcast on my own, and if I had happened to start a podcast on my own, I wouldn't have been able to sustain it, because I would have been like, oh my god, I cannot listen to myself, Um, and I mean that literally, like, I don't want to hear myself. I never leave voicemails, <laughs> except oh, now I don't that I've got to as an adult. Do, do, yeah, who does that? Yeah, but, uh, like in the doctor's office, now I have to leave voicemails. I'm like, oh, I guess. Um, but, yeah, so I still have the thing where I don't even like listening to the rough cut that <laughs> Carrie says to you because I'm like, oh. So, but I'm getting over, so like the first year was really hard. <laughs> and it was just like horrifying that I was, you know, so many people were listening to me, my voice. Then I got slightly over that, and it was more like, oh, it's so horrifying that people are listening to my thoughts. So I think it... <laughs> but now I'm uh, more over that now <laughs> as well, because time. I mean, it's really, I hate that it's true for me, at least, but, like, with more practice or just doing it, you know, every, you know, a couple of podcasts, episodes every month, it just gets easier. Um yeah, <laughs> it just gets easier, and it, it was worth it to me because uh, doing it the academic way was just not working for me. Um, I'm still, you know, I'm still trying to do that part too, but uh, yeah, it's two different, completely different things. I don't, I don't even know who that person is in the in the in the academic work that I do. Sometimes, I mean. Depending depending on how many edits it's gone through, you know, like I I, I, sh- I sh- I'm overstating it. Like I am also just stubborn, so my academic writing sounds more like me than other academic writing does. But that's but then of course it doesn't always end up in the journals because I refuse to not sound like me. Um, yeah. And then yeah. I've said this a lot online, but that like sometimes I'll get reviews back, and I don't harsh reviews is not that's that's not unusual. It's my point is that that's just how it is. I don't have a problem with that. You know, if people have a lot of points to make about my my argument, I never have a problem with people arguing or just Mm -hmm. messing with my argument because that's what it's for. Right. I'm like, make my argument stronger. Right. Or tell me, tell me if I, if I didn't, if there's some, some, some article I haven't read or something, whatever. I may or may not Mm -hmm. agree, but I think it's legitimate to say it. But I, and I say this a lot that it's like, but I get a lot of comments back that are like, not sure I like your style of writing here. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. Uh, but but what does that have to do with what I said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, you know, yeah. something that depends. Like sometimes I'm just like, I just don't want to waste any more time. Sure, I'll change it. I don't care. But like, you know, there is a point at which I realized that like, you know, in order to get, and, 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 and it's not quite the same as writing for different audiences because that makes sense. You do have to sometimes change something yes. of the way you sound for different yeah. audiences. Like I know Absolutely. that writing an academic something versus those articles I've written for language magazine, like, like I'm much, the language magazine ones are much more my speed because I'm writing to people, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I'm separating people from academics, but you know, I don't think that's all that unusual to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and like, you know, I think about like the circulation of language magazine and how many more people are reading that than than, like the, Mm -hmm. you know, people read that and they're like, yeah, I've also written like those, those magazine articles are technically follow-ups to my journal article, but I'm like, there's far more people have read those magazine articles than have read the initial journal article. For sure. (laughs) And that's fine with me. Although I do appreciate the fact that that journal article is open access. So people can read it. Like they can. Yeah. You know, and well, uh, that's another thing about the articles, the newspaper articles, or whatever. They can be more time, like timely, and you can keep updating them and do other pieces. The thing with academic stuff is that it takes so long; the whole process is so long. And then once you submit it, like you look at the proofs, you want to add something else because you've been thinking more. Yeah, and that's good. <laughs> yeah, and that's. I mean, yeah. that's that's with any thing other than magazines or newspapers because like you know i wrote this book manuscript and i submitted it however many months ago and they're not late and they're like they told me it would take this long like i'm not nothing's been screwed up here like they're i told them i'm working on my dissertation so like you know we're gonna have to do this juggling thing um and they're gonna send it back to me at some point soon and then i'm gonna be like oh man i can't believe i wrote that i wrote that about a year ago you know <laughs> and yeah, I'm gonna yeah, have to, yeah. but, yeah. but with that i expected it and i have more control over it blah 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 blah. but like mm-hmm. with the with the journal stuff you just it's just like a black box like it could be it could be yeah. any time you know and um it's also why like 
especially when you try to be timely with the journal article, like you, you, you should just not, don't even try. No. Just don't I even know. try. You know? Yeah. Try to write things that are like timeless, but then like, what's the point? <laughs> I know. Another yeah. benefit of podcasting. Yeah, you, exactly. Um, although someone t- said to us that they were listening to some old episodes and they're like, you could clearly tell when the pandemic starts because you two sound very depressed. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 I, I ended so, up little time capsules. <laughs> I ended up with a whole bunch of energy when it started. Um, but I think it was really anxious energy. Like it's not oh, like, yeah. it's not like propulsive energy. Like, you know, I don't listen to those. I've I've recorded recorded an episode, like, every week for, like, three months because I didn't know what to do with myself. I know. I I was seeing you out there doing that. I did not understand. And your baby was so small at that point. Because I was just, like, I didn't know what was going to happen, you know. I had my baby. I was living in New York, and this kid's here, and I just was, like, I got to keep recording. I can't. I couldn't do. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And, you know, I also, like, wasn't doing my job. But that's a separate issue. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like wasn't doing it, um, yeah. but um, but yeah. So you know, but in terms of voices, like an- another thing is that we all know that a lot of podcasters are white guys, um, and that's like, and you know, even whenever I I check in on a new podcast, I'm just like, well, who's doing it, and what's it about. And what is their angle? Because I don't just, you know, if I just pick people like, this is this new podcast, you should listen to it. I'm like, here's some white guys talking. And I'm just like, all right, well, I, if I just want to see that, I can just turn on the news. I don't know. Um, like, I don't, I don't need more of that. Like, and I'm not saying there aren't, you know, hashtag not all white men, whatever. But like, you know, there are clearly. <laughs> you have a quarter on the market. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, there are clearly podcasts I listen to by white men that, that do right. a good job at what they're doing. I think when they do a better job, it's when they don't present themselves as the default, right? Like, when they have a particular angle, it's like, I, you know, they know something about something, and they've done work on it, and then they often can, you know, the same way that anybody else has to. It's just when when they're assumed to be an authority just because they're they're a person, it's like, okay, well, then I don't care. I don't care. Well, it's like Tom Hanks says you have dead eyes. Right. Then you make a podcast, and you're, I'm like, okay, white guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a, that's a unique expertise is having dead eyes yeah. in, in Tom Hanks' yeah, opinion. So that's great, but he's not bragging about it. Right, exactly. Like saying that's how your eyes gotta be. Yeah, exactly. Well, there you go. Have dead eyes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but anyway, so but that obviously. It, I, I don't know how much I'm sure you want to talk to each other, right? So that's fine, and you knew each other, but mm-hmm. like that still matters in terms of you know you all putting together. And we talked about you know being comfortable in our own literal voices, uh, but that's the name of the podcast, <laughs> right? Like right. it's about well, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What were you gonna say, Karen? Yeah. So I think that like at the time we were coming up with this idea so I had this idea we should do a podcast about linguistic discrimination that was all the idea I had and I didn't know like what it it was going to look like or anything else just that um of course vocal fry was one of the things that's being talked about so much and and so yeah we were I was thinking about voices a lot as a result and I think that actually also helped me think about well so many people who are professionals are getting shot on for their voices. So who cares if we're, we're not professionals and if people want to shit on our voices, that's fine. That's, you know, it, it's not a good thing for people to do, but also it's not going to hurt me because <laughs> it's not really about me. So I don't know. I, I actually think it was a weirdly helpful that people were being so mean about vocal fry at the time. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then it made it so that it was, like, protective coding, so no one says any shitty things about our voices on podcast reviews. Right. Because um, it's, like... We're the it's only like, Yeah, it's, like, the right, we're the only women podcasters that don't get a bunch of crap about our voices in the reviews, and it's because it's, like, the one thing <laughs> that, that people are taking away from our podcast um, and it's also like yeah. it's like a shield right it's just like yeah. well you know yeah. 
you know? Yeah. It's like, so are you yeah. do, doing the thing that they're talking about? You're doing the <laughs> thing that they're talking about. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you have depowered them. You know, it's, it's, exactly, it's clever. Yeah. For, for, yeah. for me, with my voice, you know, there's, um, like, neither of you who ever stood next to me, but I'm short, right? So um, I don't have a particularly baritone voice, and I'm short. And so I didn't start running until I was in my 20s. And so I just, in terms of expectations of masculinity and black masculinity, um, and then that weird double expectation of black masculinity around white people, which is like a whole, whole thing. Um, I didn't yeah, fit. Yeah, peel sketch, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of my life has been a peel, peel sketch, but you know, it's, um, <laughs> you know, I, I never felt comfortable in my voice. It was made fun of a lot growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, kids call me Urkel and all that. And so, you know, it's just, <laughs> that's the era that it was. That's when it was. It was the nineties, right? Yeah. So, yeah, sure. Um, why did they call you Stefan? Because I was not cool. I was not smooth. <laughs> right. Um, I didn't have glasses though. Um, but then when I got a little bit better at dancing, because I worked on it in this very like, you know, in retrospect, ADHD way, like I will, I will study the humans and then I will learn <laughs> yeah. and then I will do what they do. But, but, yeah. and, and I did get good at it. Um, but then, then, then I did, I just went from Urkel to Carlton. I'm like, come on. Um, <laughs> well, Carlton is still a step up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, but he can actually dance, right? So he can really dance. Yeah. Definitely. He won Dancing with the Stars, but, um, so anyway, the point is I never would have, like my, I've done live things, you know, conferences, that sort of thing at at various times. And I know that I have a lot of sort of live energy that I can use when I'm teaching or whatever. Right. So I knew that it was, it's not just your voice when you're doing that. Right. No. Yeah. It's your whole thing, but I'd never recorded myself and had that be something and I was really nervous about it like I thought you know the people following me would listen because they follow me right they like me but like who would ever want to just hear me right and you know it only took I don't know how long it took a few episodes well once I figured out how to actually record correctly when I got to that point I was I was you know I'd spent so much time messing with the fact that it didn't sound right that it didn't really matter what I sounded like yeah (laughs) it's true and after like 10 or 11 episodes, it was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess if I stopped paying attention to how I sounded and, and so forth. But that, and, you know, in terms of sounding different from the podcast world, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a white man. Um, and I, but then like, what do people expect me to sound like? And that's just an open question. And I think that, you know, I talk about that a few times on the show. And I think it's it's important for us to... It's important for different voices and and like that literally and figuratively <laughs> to be to be heard again literally and figuratively in this sort of space and you know the fact that it was you all like I don't think I would have been inspired by just like some men um, <laughs> because like there's a lot of them you know yeah. um, and you know but I also find that the most inspiring part about us is that we're not men <laughs> yes yes so well there you go it's just it's important. You know, I wouldn't have, uh, yeah, I, it's just like, there's, there's all those shows that are just like some like, it's just a dime a dozen. And so, you know, even if, um, an individual topic isn't, you know, my favorite topic and I'm not talking about you, I'll just mean in a particular episode, I still like, but I want to hear what they have to say about it or what their guest yeah. has to say about it, you know? Yeah. Um, and the guests yeah. you, you, you find, I mean, are almost always people that I, you know, Unless they're people I already know, because now we all know the same people at this point. But like, right. <laughs> aside from that, there are people I really am like, oh man, who is this person? I really want to know the work that they do. And I think what's good about a podcasting thing is that because it's more open-ended, you know, like I, you know, you go to a conference, you know, back in the time when people did that more often and, you know, people will, will have 12 minutes to talk about an entire book. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, what, who, what am I going to get out of it? Like, how yeah. would I even know what the book is like? Twelve minutes talking about it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you give people on podcasts, and I try to do the same thing. You know, you know, an hour to really talk about their work, but not just like what's in your article, but like you know, what is your work, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, and the I think that's important. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, our guests are awesome. 
Yes, on purpose. <laughs> yes, we really we really try and vet our guests because um, we don't. We first of all we don't want to like platform anyone who's really super toxic. But also we've had a couple of cases where things went a little sideways and um, uh, was not comfortable. So we don't really want to like <laughs> do that. Yeah. So we try we try and pick people who are at least in, um seem thoughtful on paper if even if we've never met them or don't know them but like the, what their their writing tells us that they're thinking about things in a in a good way um but yeah yeah and it's skewed um away from white men our guests uh but just yeah <laughs> but it's like I feel sort of chicken and egg about it in the sense of just like. Is it's, I'm sure you, and also I, are choosing people who aren't white men on purpose. But on the other hand, if we were searching for people working towards justice, would we not also end up away yes, from white right. men? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we do, have, we do have some white men on our right, show, yeah. obviously. And they are, yeah, the cool kids, the cool guys, the ones that actually are trying to be better people, just like we're trying to be better people. Um That's a really talk. good podcast, puppy. My dogs are awful. He's tired because he, <laughs> he's got his little thunder shirt on because he's just didn't. Oh, well, because Ezel so doesn't. If Ezel doesn't sleep during the day, he doesn't sleep during the day. So he's been yeah. awake for like thirteen hours. So no, well, it's snowing all day. Puppy. So, um, but yeah, yeah. So because because I did this very unscientific study a few years mm-hmm. ago, um, not even like really, really. Just like I did, looked some stuff up basically. Um, I got a grant and it was a random grant because I didn't apply for it. It was very small. It's like a grand, right? You can't be on the microphone, actually. Um, like, you could be a lot of places, but you can't be on the microphone. Anyway. Um, and, Hello. Yeah. So, uh, I was looking, you know, at articles on language, right? And I picked... I didn't look at anything particular about the articles. I was just trying to pick a cross section of current articles, right? It, it related to language in some fashion. And what I did was, and this is very unscientific because you never know actually about people unless they say so. But I was trying to see, like, if I judged in my own brain whether an article's thrust was attempting to challenge a status quo or was just. And, and very few articles are actively trying to be harmful like they may cause harm but like they all think they're doing they all think they're the good guy you know and (laughs) so i wasn't like looking for the most harm i was just looking for it was just like articles that are just not changing anything and articles that are trying to change things and then i looked up who was cited and who wrote it and obviously again you never actually know people's picture what people you know want to essentialize but like what i found was if people were trying to challenge the status quo they did they did tend to cite a lot more scholars of color right you know right exactly yeah and i said you know were they doing this on purpose or is it just where the challenging is coming from and i yeah yeah. because like i do do it on purpose but that's only but then i also wonder like would I have to? Because when I wrote my, I keep track of my citations, you know, again, some of the, if I haven't met the person or I haven't seen them talk or I haven't read their bio per se, you know, you don't know for sure if somebody's white or if they're not white. But there are certain people I definitely know are not white because it says they've talked about it or whatever. I mean, you can look up there on their website or whatever. Um, and when I wrote the book, I always, at the end of each section, I would go at whatever new citations I'd added, and I put them on a little spreadsheet, because I was trying to make sure I had more scholars of color than white scholars. And, you know, with how, you know, a couple hundred citations I had in there, like, I wasn't all that close <laughs> to having to, like, do it. It wasn't like 90 to 10, you know, it was like 60 to 40 or something like that. But, yeah. like, um, 
I didn't have, I wasn't, I didn't have to sweat. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that close. And I do, it's something I kept track of, but it's not like I was getting to a point where I was like, oh, I got to go find some black people. Like that never, that did not happen. Um, so, you know, this is me sort of saying the same thing with the podcast guests, but also the writing. Like it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's intentional, but if your goal is what our goals are, then it seems like it's going to happen anyway. And that's good, but it's also a shame in the world. So, you know. <laughs> to not have like uh, like maybe if we weren't thinking about it enough we could have ended up with just a bunch of white women only Mm -hmm. um and so I guess there is a way to like only get part of the way there (laughs) and not get like as far as like we would like to be like we we, there's so many communities that we have not talked about that we care much because we haven't had guests about it so it's like we're not even close to being like we've talked to like all the people and we're good but um i can say that we've done a better job than maybe some other podcasts would have done well i don't think we would have ever been steered toward just white women though because i feel like we would have always been like oh i need to talk to nicole holiday and kelly wright and oh i had to talk to anne hudley and these are all these people that I was, yes. Well, Andrew Hudley was someone I was raised on, right? Um, yeah, because of who you are, right? I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. I think it's possible for people who have had like a similar idea as us. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, just not to like be kind of an okay, but not quite doing as much as as we have done. I right. Know. Like, isn't one of the most famous uh, just like names of lingua sociolinguistics if you like Deborah Cannon? Um, like these type of people that write things we might think of as more mainstream. Isn't didn't she write something like women aren't from Venus or something? I don't know. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And she might be someone that we could have on, but like, we're, yeah, right. Yes, yeah. It could have centered on people like her. Yeah, not well, that she's doing harmful work. It's not just as far as I'm aware. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. And now I hope that this microphone is not picking up the fact that he's licking himself. Um, but oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure it is. Gotta go deal with that. Um, so, but but so but that's an interesting question because it's like you know um, there are plenty of shows because there's obviously much more that I want to do. There's many more angles I want to go town, go go town, go down. Um, and you want to say go to town. Always. Yeah, I just, always, always, always yeah. there. You know. Um, and, you know, there's angles because my, my scholarship has expanded, right? Um, you know, my interests have expanded part, almost not exclusively, but a lot of because of the conversations I've had here. You know, one practice that I do when I go back and I listen to the episodes before it comes out is, um, you know, while I'm editing the little transcript, which is pretty accurate, but I have to fix it a little bit. Um, is I'm writing down my thoughts on how the conversation is going and what's interesting about it. Next stop. Um, you don't have to do that. Uh, and I'm also like, huh, what did I learn from this conversation? And, you know, I can see from writing I'm doing around the same time how what I talk about on the show influences my writing and how my writing in turn influences what's happening on the show. Like I look at my dissertation and I'm like, Oh, I wrote that after I had that conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, that was definitely yeah. in my head because I like hey, these, 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 the thing about academia a lot of the time is that they want us to exist in these like brain silos and you know, just like, and you did this thing and you just turned it off. And I'm just like, oh, no. uh, that's not how it works. And you know, I've noticed that like when I'm working on several writing projects, that like I worry sometimes I'm like I'm citing some of the same things I'm like but you are writing towards similar ideas like that's that like you're building you're building a, a, a you know a base of knowledge to 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 you know move from and it's not necessarily a bad thing I think one of the big things I've done and it's not just okay I listened to your show and then I reached out to you all um, both on Twitter just in general and then like I think that academia does not teach people to do that especially scholars of color or women or you know or just minoritized scholars in any capacity 
Um, I'm sure white men feel very comfortable just reaching out to any scholar that they've ever heard of, but <laughs> like it's not in the syllabus, in the school syllabus. Like if you find a scholar that's interesting, you should contact them. Right? Then you don't have to assume they'll respond. They might be busy, but I mean, like, most people are pretty gracious, especially if they're talking about this sort of justice stuff, right? They don't, you know, they could be busy, but usually they'll respond to you. Um, and like, all of the time that I have reached out to people, you know, it has been useful for me, whether we've had a conversation or just an email or like, you know, I ended up in a situation where I'm being edited by some of the people, like, I'm gonna have a chapter in a book being edited by people I really admire because of this and that, you know? So, like, I think one of the really bad things about he's just going at it here. Uh, one of the really bad things about it is just the way that it cuts us off from each other. And I think that podcasting is a way to push against that siloing. Is totally. that was the very long way of me saying that? Well, I think the siloing is by design. Well, yeah. Um, uh, because uh, you know the reason why I like podcasting too is. In academia, it's really not. <laughs> People think of it as this bastion of liberal thought, but it's more like a bastion of neoliberal thought, unfortunately. <laughs> so the siloing, um, keeping us separate, uh, is beneficial to the status quo. Um, and so, yeah, podcasting allows, you know, and I think Carrie would agree too that we get to talk to a lot of really amazing people. And how would we have done that? if we were writing for cognition or for language or, or not like, I don't know, like, you know, these, no, the, the language, articles. the journal, not the magazine. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah, there's one yeah, that's a, yeah, there's one a journal yeah. one is a magazine. Right. Yes. Yeah. We, that, that kind of interactions that we get to have with really cool people doesn't translate to peer reviewed articles the same way. I mean, writing in general, I mean, there's certain kinds of writing where you do get to interview a lot of people um, but ac- most academic writing is not that. I mean, I, I guess w- w- there is like there are some fields where that is actually you know a, you know qualitative um, interview based work. A dissertation still, is interview based, but it's only a few people. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, first of all, yeah, you can only interview so many people for for whatever project it is. Um, you depending on which type of interview you're doing, it tends to be. It, the semi-structured or the structured ones are like the same questions and it's kind of rigid and you're not like having a real conversation. Like it, it feels very one-sided. Like I'm pulling information out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with podcasting, it feels a little bit more like a little bit more give and take. Like when we're, we're asking all these questions, but we're also talking about our own experiences uh, back. So it's, I don't know. It's more, it's just a different, it's a, just a different way of interacting with the field uh, than ac- academic writing. I think that... I actually talk about this. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, because, you know, my dissertation is both, you know, it is semi-structured interviews, and I, I'm pretty sure what you said is what I was supposed to do, but I don't have any, I don't have any discipline, <laughs> so just end up being conversations anyway. <laughs> well, I think it's fine. better it's because good, of it. But... <laughs> like I tell people, I think I'm a pretty good scholar, and I'm kind of a terrible academic, so... <laughs> oh yeah 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 anyway you know sorry megan i kind of agree with that for myself like i feel like i just wasn't i could i i just couldn't do the academics thing properly but anyway mm-hmm. yeah i cuss too much <laughs> yeah there's that <laughs> um no i um have a little um little small article coming out about podcasting uh what did i call it, it something like podcasting versus the paywall um, and I talk about how there's two paywalls. There's a financial paywall, and there's also the psychological paywall. And it's the fact that we are forced into not having any emotion when we write for peer-reviewed articles. And that is so inhuman. Like, that's not how we are. And it also perpetuates the idea that um, scientists are objective, and they're not. Um, and so I really like podcasting because it feels more truthful, honestly. <laughs> because it's like not trying to remove the person part of it to make things legitimate. Um, and that's why I've been reading a ton of indigenous women and black women scholars on stance uh, theory and like felt theory and how, when you feel something that that's legitimate knowledge. Um, and yeah, it shows up in the podcast. Like I was like so excited. We just interviewed um, an indigenous woman scientist and 
I reached out because I've been thinking about these very things. Like, whose idea of science are we even talking about? I have been reading a lot of indigenous writing of late, or, or you know, scholarship and that sort of thing. And I, I'm sort of nervous. I want to. That's one of the directions I want to go to bring onto my show too. So I need to get on it um, because you know, the you know, when I think about disability and stuff like that, right? And the way that obviously there have always been people who like couldn't walk, right? That's just just human, yeah. Or somebody could couldn't hear or something, right? Um, but them getting second class status or i should say we right but like getting second class status only happened because you know couldn't be perfect products for the workplace right uh and you know that was not the case until you know some folks came here and did some things um and you know thinking about how it doesn't have to be this way in terms of the way that people who think differently or move differently or whatever uh are treated is is you know it seems obvious to me now but it clearly isn't obvious to everybody uh and not even not even people who are just being like hateful with it like a lot of people it's just the way we've been taught is that like well there's just some people who can't do stuff and they're over there um and it's the siloing again yeah exactly and the the lack of emotion is really important and then when you bring emotion you just seem like you're not as much of a scientist or you're not serious you're not rigorous or whatever and it's just like i think that there are effective and ineffective ways to use your emotion (laughs) but that's true of anything you know Um, and it's it's the intentionality that i think is 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 important because you know that that ob- objectivity what they're talking about is you know will it rile up the you know white perceiver right that's this that's the objective right you know um and who who decides what's what's fact and what's not fact right i mean we know who decides yeah. they already decided right. and now we're telling them that's not true and they, they don't like it <laughs> no they do not and speaking of emotion yeah i don't know White men are the most emotional. I know! <laughs> I'm just thinking, I have so many images in my head, but the first one that comes to mind is John Boehner, for some reason. Oh, the, when he was crying. crying a lot? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I, that's not something that I'm, like, making fun of. It's just, like, pointing out that you're such hypocrites. <laughs> like, this is okay, but you made it not okay. Um, you know, you're part of the, the, the problem by saying that, you know... Um, and his crying is different. And his crying didn't even really bother me that much in comparison to like the anger. That right. Oh, like Brett Kavanaugh. Like yeah, Brett Kavanaugh. He's like the perfect example. Yeah. The yeah. way he the way he acted in in that um, hearing was so outrageous. I couldn't even like compute it. Like, I know. No one else. Like no. No, white women couldn't get away with that let alone anybody else couldn't have gotten away with that mm-hmm. but it was like actually it helped him it turned it around for him it made yeah. no sense to me it will never make like intellectually I understand what happened but like I just no it doesn't make any sense <laughs> the same happened with Kyle Rittenhouse his crying as well you know it's like it's so frustrating <laughs> His his case, the prosecutors I think did, did not did not do a very good job with his case anyway. So he might right. not have needed to cry, but yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah. But yeah, talking about women weaponizing tears, come on. Oh, <laughs> and white women do. Yes, absolutely. we do like white, white weaponize our tears. Yes. However, I still think it's not as much as white men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, the thing. I mean, we could go way back and be you know bird's eye view of this and say like white. Men, period, but white men in particular aren't supposed to cry. So if they do cry, it's like, oh my god, we yeah. must, we must, you know, bow down to this greatly yeah. emotional moment, and yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just so yeah. remarkable. Whereas you know, the rest of us are not allowed to be upset, right, with yeah. a bunch of legitimate things. Um, right. And I I've cried. I burst into tears in very quote-unquote professional situations a couple of times because society has not taught anyone very well how to deal with their anger. And I certainly have tried to not even say I 
have that emotion. So like my anger turns into tears. <laughs> so it's like we're putting people in like we're backing them into a corner of not being able to express anything. Um, if you're not a white dude. <laughs> That's Yeah, I mean things like, you know, I've it used to happen to me a lot when I was younger and then I like forced myself to stop crying in public, which is not good, but I was a teenager and I, it was not ideal to, you know, right. talk about my voice and the, you know, gender and all that. Um, and then I had to like really work on being able to access my tears when I was an adult, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not, I was able to access the sadness. Like, you know, I could, I could, you know, I could feel sad and all that, but I had to like, like try. And then it's this weird thing where I'm like trying to cry and I'm like, oh, this is silly. Um, (laughs) you know, that like eventually did happen. I was like, oh, okay. But it's still, it's still still not easy for me. I, I get this weird half cry sometimes but like especially when i see like a sad movie and i like half cry oh, yeah. i'm just like but i'm not actually crying but i'm kind of but i'm not actually crying but i'm kind of i know it well <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm just like yeah but this is how deep this stuff is yeah. like you know i think some people there will always be people that'll be like you're grasping at straws but no like the fact that we think of science as objective uh just using this as an example and that scientists are objective and they speak truth and we associate white men with science, with science and truth and all of that. Um, the best way to be taken seriously is to emulate that. And so by doing it any other way, by being quote unquote emotional is to like invalidate your knowledge. Um, and it's because of things like you, you not wanting to cry as a teenager, me crying because I'm angry. Like all of those things are just like, um, reproducing and reflecting the white supremacy, toxic masculinity, the patriarchy, all of these things that are the foundational problems. Mm-hmm. And again, I still think, like, I've seen so many white male scholars get super angry. I at know, especially on Facebook and Twitter. Well, or and Facebook on Facebook and Twitter, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. They, so, like, their objectivity that we're supposed to emulate actually in- involves anger, but we're not allowed to have it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we know that, and that's why some of us burst into tears because it's so much easier to accept a woman crying than it is uh, a woman being angry in that way, in the you know way that we might you know how in our way. The, the 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 thing is that I don't the you know because the the people who who get angry at me with my writing are usually like white men. Then I I get that I get that weird confused response from white women sometimes like you know the, uh, yep yeah, I, yeah. I know that i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> just yeah. like what do you mean and i'm like uh, you know what i mean um like, stop <laughs> pretending you know what i mean this is not like I, I write in a very accessible way i'm not writing in a confusing way um yeah but you know because and and because like, it's frustrating because like, a lot of a lot of my writing you know was pushing towards like people who i think mean well but aren't really just aren't getting there right and people feel uncomfortable because even when i read things that i think are attempting to like push things forward they're still like i don't need to read another article about you know you know some white people they do some racism i'm like okay all right yeah okay i don't i don't need to read another study about it (laughs) like we know underlying our show is that we all we do a racism yeah we do yeah. racism and we so do racism, we do sexism we do transphobia yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right we do it all so, so just that's the knowledge that's where we're starting from and we don't have to say it well we say it in other ways we say it like here is how it manifests um but we assume but it yeah. happens but i and i think that's like a problem when people are like not assuming or they the colorblindness that it's real yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's I well, mean that's like, yeah. When you start from that like 101 like need evidence to prove racism or misogyny or at this you, point at this it, it, well right yeah. no you 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 are tr- you're trying you're refusing to get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yes. know, it's it's you know unless you're like 11. But like You're right, yeah. Yeah, but like <laughs> I'm not to this. I hope there's no 11 year olds listening to this. Um no, but like, <laughs> I'm gonna say they are. They probably already are aware well, of it. Well, you know, they could, you know, I mean, I have people who have kids. Maybe they show us, you know, show it to their kids or whatever. But, you know. Listen, like, you know who's 11 is Gene Belcher. And Gene Belcher 
Dean Belcher knows. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, to sort of um, come around the bend here, then, you know, what would you say are some of the sort of the best things you get out of doing the show? to meet all these cool people even if it's virtual mm-hmm. <laughs> but getting to meet all these cool people and hear 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 things that i may have never even considered like I'm trying to think of a good example so oh, so the, the most recent person that we, we that we've interviewed it's not coming out for a while but uh she and some other people looked at linguistic data so just like sentences and who gets to be the actor in the sentence and who gets to be acted upon in the sentences. And linguistics has a lot of women in it. And even then, even, even though we have a lot of women in it, it's still, the examples are very sexist. Like the men generally are doing the things and the women are generally being done things too. So you can imagine if this is a problem, how much worse it is for race or other things the other identities so (laughs) i even though like intellectually again i kind of knew we had a problem in our field i just didn't realize like how deep it really was you know and so i I just like i get to learn all these things like so my dad was a journalist and one of the things he really liked about it was that he got to like learn about a bunch of things constantly right because he was constantly interviewing all these different people and i and i now i realize oh yeah this is like such a great thing to do like you get to learn so much more than just reading a bunch of papers sure i was working with consultants and other and co-authors but it still is less you engage with fewer people than you do when you get to interview a bunch of people about many 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 topics yeah that was going to be my answer too is the people but it's it's also selfishly and this is just related uh a way for me to learn more because I'm a very curious person and it's like these people are sharing their wisdom with us and it's amazing and then we get to share it with other people um and I you know I would be lying if I said I didn't learn it from my PhD like it obviously taught me a lot of skills but nothing like what this four and a half years of podcasting has done for me like intellectually and personally um yeah, we've talked to so many different people. Like, how lucky. Um, yeah, and I learn something every time, even though I, you know, I think I, I know about X or whatever. Um, it's only what I know about X, and someone else is telling me what they know about it. So. I guess, I guess that's really, I wrote in my dissertation, which is not finished, but I'm not taking this line out, that uh, I've gotten more out of my public scholarship experience than from my actual studies. It's not to say that I haven't gotten anything from my studies, but like, I, I'm just thinking like, if I had just done exactly what this, I don't mean school told me, but just what was written on the paper. Right. And just Mm -hmm. taking the class and so forth. Like, you know, I would be, I certainly wouldn't have podcast. Certainly wouldn't have be writing a book. I certainly wouldn't have, you know, done almost almost everything that i've done that's 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 been valuable has been because of me reaching out listening to you all starting this and then just being able to talk to the public about these issues because even if i had written an article or two which is possible that i would have done without the show right um i don't think i would have been able to talk about these things at length if i hadn't been basically practicing every two weeks (laughs) Because that's what we're doing here. So, um, yeah, that's true. It is. And far, yeah. and I again, I think that academia purposefully sometimes selects for people who are not built to talk to the public, um, yes. Yes. and then mm-hmm. encourages the ones who aren't really great at that and for to you know give them more power. And, um, like, I do think there is a limit to how, like, you can't just be often on the planet, I guess. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's something to be said for being able to communicate complex interconnected ideas 
in an accessible way. That doesn't mean you have to make it so that you take the nuance out of it, but like keeping the nuance in, like I think that my skill and I think one of your, your, you plurals skills is, we don't have enough pronouns in English, um, but <laughs> is, you can always have more. yeah, but um, is that we uh, were able to, to, to bring complex ideas to people who might not have heard them before. And I think that that is extremely valuable. So yes, I, it is. And thank you for what you're doing. Well, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the two of you. That's for sure. Well, I didn't expect to have these feelings right now. So thank you. <laughs> I didn't plan for them. <laughs> Do you have to like schedule in your emotions yes. into your planner? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah so so thank you too for joining me on this episode of course, um thank you for having us yes yeah, was i was glad to have have the two that that pushed me into the game Aww. uh you know show up on my show and um i uh will always continue to listen to yours as long as it's around Ooh.